Coming to you live from the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas and Money 2020, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate, actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to the latest live podcast episode of Bankadelic. We are here at the Venetian in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I have to tell you, this has been a really energized conference, but in a different way because it's not the 15-story displays with gorillas hanging out of them and ACDC music. It's kind of subdued on the floor, but a lot of the action seems to be taking place with the conferences and the business meetings. I've heard good reports. And in addition to this, just the fact that almost everyone I have talked to both on the podcast and and personally, seems determined to be positive. Even though we are in a challenging environment all the way around, we have a great guest with us today, Abhinav Astana. And he is with Tavant. And as the product leader at Tavant, which is a Silicon Valley headquartered products and solution company, Abhinav is responsible for creating and executing the zero-one strategy for Tavant's product business With more than 15 years' experience in product design, management, engineering, and consulting, Abhinav has a proven track record of delivering products that cater to B2B2X, B2B, and enterprise SaaS across various industry verticals. He also leads a cross-functional team of product managers, engineers, designers, and researchers researchers, <laughs> I'll read that again, Aminov leads a cross-functional team of project managers, engineers, designers, and researchers responsible for developing and enhancing Tavant's suite of products that enable millions of consumers through businesses globally. Aminov, welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and Tavant are old friends of ours at Bankadelic, and I'm meeting you for the first time, though, so great to have you with us. Now, one thing I thought I would start out with was this term that I absolutely love that you taught me. I'm hearing it for the first time, survivor rates. (laughs) And we're not on the island trying to vote people off, but sometimes, in an unfortunate way, businesses self-select 
by not being aware of how the things they do can lead to customer attrition. And so this aspect of survivor rates is very interesting to me, and it really points to the technology you're using and encouraging businesses to use. What does survivor rates mean exactly, and how does that relate to what Tavon is doing in the marketplace? Uh, that's a great question, Lou. Uh, it is survivor rate or the survivor function is a concept in statistics, and, and you really think about it, if Lou is a customer of Bank of America today, can Bank of America predict that Lou will also be a customer next year, the year after, the year after, and so on, till Lou leaves the planet? Right? And so the confidence with which you can predict that a customer is going to be your customer in the future is determined by the survivor function. And in today's world, there are applications of survivor function in businesses. People call it net revenue retention, which is the number incremental dollar you make for the same customer in future years. And so, and in, and in, and in more colloquial way, it's like, are your customers going to buy from you till they die? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and yeah. in the financial services world, what it really means is, are fintechs able to offer value to customers that they continue to do business with them in the future as well? Uh, one, of, one clear example is where some products get to their logical end of life, which is, for example, when you get an auto loan. You buy mm -hmm. a car, you pay it off in five years, that's a logical end to that product. Yes. But most people change cars multiple times in their lifetime, starting at 16 all the way through 70, 75. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that span of 60 years, and if you kept a car for 10 years, you would buy six cars. Did you get it financed from the same financial yeah. institution? Is determined by, were you a customer who bought till you died from the same financial yeah. institution? It makes a lot of sense because there's actually a legendary car salesman named Carl Sewell, and he wrote a book called Customers for Life. And the concept is if you take care of your customers, they will keep coming back to buy, wait for it, cars. <laughs> but I've never heard anybody express it the way you have in terms of, well, what about the people who finance the cars? What about the financial products that make those repeat purchases Possible. So, really, really great point. Now, another topic that you really have some prescient views on has to do with the evolution of philosophy vis-a-vis -vis businesses in this financial space. First, they were people first. Then, they became tech first. Then, they became innovation first. And now, they're data first. Really incredible, and people don't always stop to think, well, what does data first mean, and why is that a terrific thing? Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it is very evident, not just at this conference, but if you look around, 80% uh, of the Y Combinator cohort of this summer of startups were focused on data. Wow, I did not know that. And, and that is not a stat that I cooked up. <laughs> it is a stat that Y Combinator published 
uh, in September. And, and, and what does it really mean? In becoming data first, you are going to be people first. You have to invest in your people to understand how to use data. Isn't that incredible? It is. It is. You have to be tech first because you need to know, use the right kind of technology to work with this data. It is always innovation first because data is at the front of all the innovation you see around yourself in today's world. I mean, if you think about AI, machine learning, optimization, automation, most of it, if not all, is data-driven. And so, as companies incorporate a culture or transition to a culture of becoming data first, they're not leaving the other three philosophies we talked about. They are going to invest in people, in technology, and in innovation. What's changing is, as you become data first, you're not just thinking of those three paradigms for only cost optimization. You're also looking at revenue upsides. And, and so, in, 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 in the in true world, people are looking at a multiplicative growth with revenue as they keep a linear drop in cost. And so the surplus that they achieve in terms of either more customers, better customers, better paying customers becomes a, an obvious outcome of being a data first company. One of the other things that you will see that a lot of people are trying to understand is who their actual customer is. <laughs> I'll ask you a question. This go is ahead. me asking you a question. I love to be interviewed, so go for it. Who do you think is Coca-Cola's customer? Wow. That's a good one because obviously the end user arguably is the person who drinks the Coke. Yes, I'm going to do when the podcast is over. But there are also other people, or other companies, I should say, that I would imagine Coke is working with that, in a sense, are end customers. Now, I may be totally off on that, but that's just me thinking off the top of my head. And now I need to hear the answer. It's the retailers who shelf their product. There we so, go. Like Walmart or Target or Tesco or Reliance or you know, Carrefour. They are Coca-Cola's biggest customers because they are the ones who buy from Coca-Cola to sell to end consumers like you and me. Wow, that's totally a financial services paradigm and something that is so evident here at the conference. Companies selling to banks, credit unions, other financial institutions who then serve their customers. So brilliant. And so if you, when, you, when, you, when you were reading out, uh, my area of expertise, I, I mean, I've mentioned B to B to X. I will sell to businesses who can then sell to whoever. They can sell to other businesses, end customers, governments, enterprises, whoever they want to sell to. The, the goal that we serve is that our products should make these businesses better in what they offer to the end market that they serve in. And I think that's the, the big piece that a lot of people do not understand that who are you really nurturing as a customer? So I go back to the survivor function again. My survivor function is if I sell to Bank of America, are they continuing to are they going to continue to buy from me for life? And uh, the churn there is not that Bank of America lost five hundred thousand customers of theirs. Did they lose it because of my technology or platform mm. not being the right platform at that point? So. 
Yeah. That's the key with data, that you need to stay ahead of this question, uh, who led to growth or who led to decline? And that's why I said uh, the telemetry behind this, which is the Internet of Things that I was talking about, yeah. is if you at all times know what's happening in your business and you can surface the data up so people can or leaders can make decisions based on the data as opposed to some gut feel or mm -hmm. a market swing, yeah. that's the important part with data uh, and being a data-first company. That is incredible because if I'm understanding you correctly and I'm really <laughs> having my mind blown here, it's this idea that let's say I'm a customer of Coke or Bank of America, not as a business but as a consumer, right? And something isn't right about the experience and banking I think is a real spot on example. Then my beef might be with Bank of America by the way, I love Bank of America. I'm just using them as an example. But in reality, Bank of America can, Bank of America can only do as good a job serving me as the technology and the data tools that they're provided with. So there's something else going on that is invisible to the consumer but affects them tremendously. That is so true. Uh, and then if you think about it, uh, in the current market where we are, with the rates the way they are, uh, finding new customers for financial institutions is very tough, especially if you're in the business of uh, money, uh, you know. And, and so, and given that we are heading into an election year, nothing's going to change dramatically, up or down. Uh, if people are going to try to make maintain status quo. There may be some sort of a reprieve to the, to. Uh, the American citizens uh, through rate corrections, the Fed may, uh, there was uh, an interesting article in WSJ yesterday that the Fed may have to reconsider their goal of to target inflation rate of 2% given where we are and the way the economy is. And if any of those things were to happen, uh, again, in the background that we have, we're heading into an election year, it is very, uh, uh, I would say, it is imperative for institutions to be prepared with data to say, this change impacts this cohort of my customers. Yeah. So that change is completely agnostic and my customers won't get impacted. And, and It's so true because we live in a macroeconomic environment where a business can do all of the right things. They can work with all of the right vendors and partners. They can have that data-first vision, which if it's connected back to all of the other things on that path that we talked about, is dynamite. And yet, you're the first person I've talked to on all the podcasts I've done who's brought up the election. People are bringing up inflation, they're bringing up interest rates, they're bringing up the stock market, but the election we all know about it, but it's not something I thought about yet in this context, and that's definitely going to cause tremors. I'm also of the opinion that Jerome Powell has no idea how to talk to the public or to the media, because he is incessantly dour, borderline pessimistic, and he'll use words like fear. And the stock market goes down 200 points. Why can't he say, we're on the right path, we're not quite, you know, just the way 
Alan Greenspan was very different as a Fed chairman. He knew how to talk to the media, and he was even borderline entertaining. And I think that that helped uphold market resilience. But one of the things, and thank God Tavon is removed from it, right? But in the financial world, I'm amazed by how many people don't act on data-driven decisions. There was a study that was done by two professors at Yeshiva University trying to analyze the purchase patterns of investors in the stock market. And what they found was a surprisingly high correlation, which was not attributable to chance or coincidence, that people would invest in stocks beginning with A, B, and C, as opposed to the latter part of the alphabet. So what are people thinking? So fear drives a lot of that, which I would love to know in terms of what you do and what Tavant does, how do you deal with the uncertainty that customers might express because they're in an environment where either they're afraid to do things right now or because it's human nature to react with emotions as opposed to trust the data, trust the numbers, trust the track record. How do you deal with that? Uh, uh, it's, it's tough, at the least. I think the part is that they, a lot of customers have to first trust you, in this case, Tavon, that what Tavon is gonna say is gonna help them achieve their goals. Now, one of the things that uh, we run into several times is a lot of customers know they have a lot of data, they just don't know how to use it. Yes. And it is very wrong for technology partners like Tavan to go and ask for use cases from these financial institutions. Hey, tell me what use case you're looking to solve for and then we'll come and solve for it. Mm-hmm. Instead, partners like Tavan, who've been in the industry for 20 plus years, come to customers and say, you have all of this data. Here is how you should use it to your advantage. And here are the first two or three things you can do to prove the trust aspect of the data out before you actually move the entire organization to start believing in the data and trusting the data. And so there are companies uh, in the exhibition hall I met with and talked uh, who are uh, constantly looking at data but are blind to it because they just don't know what it really means to them. And I, I say that with a grain of salt because obviously there are leaders in those organizations who know how to use the data. They are keeping that very close to their chest as to how they use the data because it also comes down to if anything fails, for example, no one gets to know about why it failed. <laughs> and so we are now constantly getting in this mode where say that data drives transparency, accountability, and results. Yes. And so you as a leader of a business have to believe that you want to actually be accountable for what you do with the data, be transparent of how you're using the data, and then show results that came out of the data and not just hog the fame that, hey, it was me who won the battle. (laughs) Give data the credit. Absolutely, because if data is run through that multi-point journey that you're talking about, it can be trusted. And I find it fascinating that a lot of times when businesses fail, 
it's because they either don't use the data, right? It's all hunches or they're fudging the data so that if you want to take it from the point where it's numbers on a page to letting the data do its work, nothing can happen. I will give you an example. So in the lending business, most lenders know which regions perform a certain way in terms of volume, cycle time, conversion, and they basically apply the law of averages and have continued to do so for several years. So they, you, you will talk to a lot of business leaders who will come and tell you, I know that in, the, in summer months, these are the regions where we'll see an uptick in home buying or an uptick in college uh, loans, school student loans, and this is how our conversion changes. I'm like, but in the last five years, that average has not worked for you. Mm -hmm. So the goal, with the, 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 one of the most beautiful things with data is that it keeps you honest at all times. So you can look and say that, hey, my eastern corridor did X business in the month of March, April, and June, which was much better than my western corridor. And you know exactly why. Data doesn't, doesn't tell you that one did good and the other one did not. It also tells you why one did good. So you can incorporate that, those characteristics of the good business into your struggling business and make that better. Yes. And Tawan is in that business. So we tell financial institutions what kind of customers are converting, what's their persona, why they did what they did, how long did it take for them to get to where they got. We account for, I'm going to use another heavy word here, the heterogeneity in your customer base so that you don't fall trapped to the law of averages that you use. Yes. And that seems to me to be related to a concept I've heard of called hyper-personalization, where eventually we're headed towards a future where the data is going to be so rich and mined so well and refined so well that institutions can make decisions on customers and offer products that are tailored one-to-one -one as opposed to the masses, right? You talked about averages. And that gets me very excited. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, the, the interesting part that you just mentioned is, oh, you talked about, you know, you, you like to bank with Bank of America. Yeah. So I'm just going to use them as a name from a, from a financial institution perspective because they are who they are. Yeah. If they were to put a customer lifetime value to lose relationship from the day you started banking with them to where you are today and where you could be in the future, if they could compute that with certain accuracy, they would probably say, hey, Lou, even in this market where the interest rates are at 7.5%, because of the lifetime value we've seen and the kind of money we see to make in the future, we can still offer you a loan for 3%. Because exactly. they, know, they know that Lou with all of the financial products can, that Lou consumes from Bank of America on, the, on a 3% interest rate home loan could still, would still be a profitable customer lifetime value for them as opposed to what's in it for bank, the bank today. Yeah, and everybody wins, which is fantastic. Speaking of the future, and we're going to ride off into the sunset with this question because it's very Avanov-centered and it's also... Tavant centered, right? Is if we have this conversation next year at Money 20, or hopefully before then, right? 
What do you expect might be new and exciting? Something that you would love to see happen or something that's in development, if you're able to talk about that, that will really mark a next step? I think uh, I expect more uh, financial institutions to be able to hyper-personalize and do a, you know, a at not an astronomical cost. See, I think a lot of that uh, today is the reason why people use law of averages because they want to average the cost out as well. Mm -hmm. But if you really look at data, and you know, I, we use this word, and the industry uses the word, uh, the acronym SEA. Did you use data to simplify your business, eliminate waste in your business, and automate things that were automatable? Are you eventually then able to serve Lou as a customer much better? And I have seen there used to be digital assistants that became robo-advisors to now people starting to use artificial intelligence, uh, especially with gener generative AI, to come and tell you what exactly are you worth to the bank, to, to the money market, to your car dealer, whoever you're doing in, are you, as a customer of. The way I look at this is that Every consumer should be benefiting from AI that the provider on the other side should be making available to them. And so if AI were to be, you know, I'm going to take, a, take us back to 1992, 93, mm -hmm. when the mobile phones were a big thing. Yes. I don't know of an adult in any part of the world who does not have some kind of a communication device and, and, and how pervasive communication has become. And so in the next 12 to 18 months, you will see a lot of generative AI and just uh, machine learning enabled capabilities uh, become more and more pervasive that it starts impacting end consumers on a daily basis. Erica is gonna be able to give you much better recommendations yeah. on your phone than it does today. And that will be an incredible day. You spoke about things being collaborative. I really feel like this podcast today was collaborative. I learned a lot. And I'm grateful you could make time from your busy schedule to be down here. Abhinav, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Lou. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Great. Thank you. Abhinav Astana is the product leader at Tavant, based in beautiful San Francisco. Still the tech capital of the world, if you ask me. <laughs> you can look for Abhinav on LinkedIn. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. 
For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking B-I-Z News.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And if you've got a milkshake, I'm drinking. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.